Welcome to the 153rd podcast and the 123rd as a City on a Hill Church. The world is in the grip of concern about the coronavirus. People are ill. People are dying. Governments are trying to arrest its spread, while much of the United States is in lockdown, sort of a self-quarantine. A new phrase has taken hold, social distancing. For this reason, Pastor Mike has felt led of the Lord to step outside of his Isaiah series and address a message that we all need to hear. He's entitled it, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. We are able to be here in the house of the Lord, uh, worshiping him and uh, communing with his people and encouraging ourselves and one another in the Lord tonight. Um, I'm going to do a special message, probably a series for the next few weeks, um, entitled Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled, uh, just to address some of the insecurity and anxiety that people are facing all around our world today. And we are not exempt from this or immune from it here at Calvary Chapel of Visalia. And so um, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from our expository study through the book of Isaiah. But uh, I promise you, I will get back to Isaiah eventually. So we still have a whole bunch of Isaiah still to go. Uh, but just being sensitive to the times in which we live, I, I felt led of the Lord to kind of change direction tonight. Uh, and, and for the next several weeks, probably, we will be looking at um, uh, a series entitled Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. So I'd like you to open up, please, to John chapter 14, verse 1. And this is going to be our starting point. And we're not going to stay here in John 14 for long, but it's going to be kind of... Uh, springboard from this into the message tonight. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. This was from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking to his disciples and in the context, uh, Jesus had just told them basically that he was leaving them. He was going somewhere that they would not be able to follow him. And uh, clearly they became very distressed about this. They became very upset about it. Uh, And and Jesus uh, tells them, you don't need to be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. For the context, if you go back to verse 31 of chapter 13, there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscripts. Uh, The chapter breaks were put in by the translators and and the uh, scribes and so forth. But if you go back to uh, verse 31 of the prior chapter, we read this. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. 
that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, immediately, Peter asked the question, well, Lord, where are you going? So it's kind of like they just they just tuned out everything that Jesus just said, because he said something that really upset them, really concerned them. When he said, I shall be with you a little while longer, you will seek me, as I said to the Jews, the unbelieving Jewish religious leaders is who he's talking about. He's now telling them the same thing that he told to the unbelieving Jewish leaders where I am going. You cannot come. And I think they just tuned out the rest of what he said at that point, because they're like, did he just say that he's leaving us and we can't follow him? They'd been with him for three and a half years at this point. They had sold everything. They'd walked away from everything. They'd lost everything for Jesus. And they uh, they didn't think that they were going to have to do this alone. They thought that Jesus was going to be there with them the whole time. And so even though Jesus gives them this beautiful exhortation, this new commandment, love one another, that's not what they were thinking about. What they were thinking about is, wait a second, where are you going and why can't we come with you? How do we know that that's what they were thinking? Because of what we read next. Verse 36 says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. But then Jesus tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Obviously, he said that for a reason. Why did he say it? Because their hearts were troubled. So Jesus was dealing with the fact that they were upset, they were anxious, they were fearful, they were worried. And Jesus assures them, let not your let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he would go on to tell them my father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. Uh, But in the context, this is to all believers uh, throughout all of history. We can apply this to ourselves when we are dealing with anxiety, when we are dealing with fear, when we are dealing with tumultuous, troubled times, when we are dealing with storms and wars and pestilences and diseases, things that happen in the world throughout history, things that upset us, and we don't know why they're happening and we don't know what to do. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because you believe in God. And you believe also in me. And so we are different. We are in a different place than everybody else to deal with this coronavirus fear and anxiety and upheaval of this world system, the economic system, the job situation. People are being laid off from their jobs People are fearful about their retirement accounts, their pension plans. But you see, what's happening is God is taking all of the stuff and he's kind of taking it and moving it aside and saying, don't focus on the stuff. Focus on me. You're my people. You could trust me. I'm going to take care of you because you believe in God. You're not like the unbelievers, the godless, 
those who are worshiping, you know, the stars or worshiping themselves or worshiping idols or practicing witchcraft. You are people who, who know me and you are my people. Therefore, you don't have to be troubled no matter what comes your way. You believe in God. You believe also in me. And as a result of this faith that we have in God, we can have his peace in times of trouble. Trust in me. Believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. That word believe can also be translated trust. You trust in God, right? You're a Christian. You trust in God. Okay? So then you don't have to be troubled because you trust in God. You have faith. This word could also be used uh, as, as faith. Believe, trust, faith are really all the same words. You have faith in God then you don't have to be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled because you trust in God. You trust in me. You have faith in God. You have faith in me. You don't have to hold your place here. We're not going to turn back. I'm going to go quickly like I usually do. I don't think I have nearly as many scriptures to cover tonight as I normally do, but I still go pretty quickly because I have them marked out in my Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So again, We are not troubled as the rest of the world. Why? Because we have faith. But what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. When someone becomes a Christian, when when you are a Christian and you say, I have faith, it is not a blind faith. It's not bury your head in the sand and just hope it all works out. This is this is substantive. Our faith is substance. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence. It's evidential of the things not yet seen. As a matter of fact, faith sees far more and far more clearly than unbelief ever will see. Because unbelief uh, looks at things as they are physically. Faith looks beyond the physical realm and looks into the eternal, looks into the spiritual realm. And so we're not those who practice blind faith. We're not checking our reasoning at the door. We have faith, a reasonable faith in God and in his word and in his son. He says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things which are visible. You know, for many years, uh, they didn't know that this was scientifically true. But now they do know that this is scientifically true. The whole universe is made up of nothing. I mean, when you break it all down, all matter is made up of what? Of atoms. Atoms are so small you can't see them. They're, they're, They're too small to see. But atoms are made up of even smaller things. Atoms are made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons, which you cannot see. You break down the protons. Protons are made up of little things even smaller that you cannot see. 
quarks, neutrinos, and Higgs boson particles. So the further they dig deeper and look into the mathematical quantum physics of, of, of the universe, where does all matter come from? It's invisible particles that nobody can see that makes up everything in the universe. And God spoke the universe into existence. He framed the world by his word. He spoke and the universe leapt into existence. And so our faith is not uh, in um, man. Our faith is not in the world system. Our faith is not in our money. Our faith is not in this material realm. Our faith is in God who spoke the universe into existence. God's word created the universe and everything in it, and he holds the world together by the word of his power. Not only did he speak the universe into existence, he maintains the universe and its perfect order. It's perfect order through his word. His word holds the universe together. So we have faith in God. We have faith in the God that spoke the universe into existence. There was nothing, and now there's a whole universe, and then there's a whole planet filled with all kinds of life. God created this. It didn't come from nothing. So we we are reasonable in our faith to believe that we could trust God and we could trust His Word. If His Word could create the universe, certainly we could trust in His Word. And the promise is in His Word to take care of us as His people in the midst of difficulty. We have faith in God. You believe in God. You have faith in God. Believe also in me. And because of this, we can say, my heart is not troubled. My heart is at peace. We trust in God. We trust in his word. We trust in the promises in his word. And we believe that his word is true. And we uh, believe that we are assured by God's word that it is true and that he is going to take care of us. His promises are true. His assurances are true for his people. So what does his word tell us uh, to his people in times of difficulty, in times of trouble? Well, there's a whole lot of promises in his word that we can appropriate and we can apply to our lives in the midst of uncertain times. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, Jeremiah says this, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to God's people, Judah, at this time. They were about to be carried away by the Babylonians, taken into captivity for 70 years. They, you know, pretty much weren't going to ever see Jerusalem again. Most of them would die in Babylon. Uh, there wasn't any hope. For the Jews at this time, they were they were pretty much hopeless. Uh, the end was near for them at the time that God gave them this prophecy. And God even tells them that they're going to be carried away captive to Babylon in verse four. 
to all who were carried away captive, who had caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. They, they, there was already some that were taken, but the rest were going to be taken. And, and they weren't going to win this war. They weren't going to stay in the holy city of Jerusalem or the holy land. They were going to be carried away to the seat of pagan idolatry, which was Babylon. And, and, and yet God says, in spite of all of this, he says in verse 10, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. I will perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And then he gives him the promise, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Verse 11 says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So even though they were going to lose the battle, the war against Babylon, even though they were going to be removed from the Holy Land, even though the temple was going to be raised to the ground, the city of Jerusalem was going to be burned with fire. Many, many were going to die by the edge of the sword. God says, that's not yet the end. I am going to bring you back after 70 years. You're not going to end up eternally in Babylon, perpetually forever in Babylon. You're still my people. I still have a plan for you. This was a discipline, actually, uh, upon the nation of Judah at this time. Because of their idolatry, they were being punished by God. But it wasn't the end. God was chastening them as a father chastens a son in whom he delights, the Bible says. And he was going to restore them. He was going to bring them back to their holy land. And he was going to restore uh, the years that the canker worm had eaten and destroyed. And God says, uh, I know the thoughts I think towards you. My thoughts are of peace and not of evil. My thoughts are good to you. You're my people. I love you. Uh, I will give you a future and a hope. And this is a promise to us today. We're his people. No matter what happens in this world. Look, we're living in Babylon, guys. This is not our home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. This isn't our home. Our home is in heaven. And so to some degree, we're in captivity in Babylon. Uh, we're building houses and planting vineyards and, you know, doing the things that we have to do to survive, working our jobs and so forth, raising our families. But this is not our home. Our home is in heaven and we're going to get there. Jesus told us, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. We're just passing through this life, guys. We don't know how much time we have, whether we all die of the coronavirus or no one dies of the coronavirus. I mean, we're going to die of something someday, but that's not the end. We're going to go on to be with Jesus Jesus is right here with us, guys. He's right here with us in the midst of the storm. He's right here with us in the midst of the trial and the uncertainty. And as a matter of fact, it's often when uh, everything else is kind of peeled away from our lives, everything else is purged away from our lives, that our faith becomes more real. Or it reveals the weakness of our faith. One of the two. Trials and the fires of trials reveal what's in our own hearts. They purge us. They purify us. They reveal our faith to us so that we have to really look in the mirror and say, why am I panicking right now like the rest of society? I shouldn't be panicking. Maybe I need more of Jesus in my life. Maybe I need to be closer to the Lord. Maybe I've been spending way too much time in the gym and way too much time in front of the TV and way too much time, you know, uh, 
doing the things that I love to do, traveling and vacationing and all of these other things or whatever it is. And, and, and I need to spend more time in the word of God. I need to spend more time in prayer. I need to spend more time witnessing to the lost. There's so many people who are lost. Their lives are falling apart. We should be those who give them hope at this time. We should be encouraging them to trust in the Lord, to turn to the Lord. But we first must be trusting in the Lord ourselves. Otherwise, our words are, 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 are empty. In Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus said this to his disciples. He was speaking really to, to those who were there, but really to, to all who would hear him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Jesus was no longer crying out to the nation of Israel at this point. His fate was pretty much sealed. He was he was going to go to the cross. They were going to reject him as their Messiah. He wasn't in the streets preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand to the nation of Israel. Now he was calling to individuals who would come to him one at a time. And that's really how we all get saved. We come individually to Jesus one person at a time. And he speaks to us. He calls to us, especially those who are worn out, who are weary, who are burdened, who are heavy laden by the cares and the burdens of this world. He says, come to me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, burdened down, and I will give you rest. And how how do we do this? How do we get his rest? How do we come to him? And how do we... Uh, uh, give our burdens to him. He tells us in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, meek and humble, another translation says. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, many Bible scholars believe that Jesus' stepdad, Joseph, uh, that he was a finished carpenter. He wasn't like a framing carpenter who framed houses. He was more of a finished carpenter doing finished work, you know, more detailed work, carpentry work. So Jesus, as the carpenter's son, would have been raised, uh, probably learning his father's trade in that culture as a finished carpenter. And one of the things that certainly would have been uh, items that they would have been tasked to build in that society at that time would have been yokes for the oxen. A finished carpenter would build the yokes because they were custom made. Historians tell us the yokes were custom made for each individual oxen. So it fit the oxen perfectly. Uh, that was going to be yoked up. And typically what they would do is they would yoke up two oxen together with that yoke that would go over their shoulders and kind of unite them or, or, or tie them together over their shoulders with harnesses and so forth. Uh, it, so that they would be able to plow the fields. And so Jesus is using this analogy. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, again, in this culture, they would have understood exactly what Jesus meant, because you would take a immature and young and inexperienced ox, and you would yoke him up with a very mature and experienced ox. 
And the way that you would build the yoke and create the yoke would be that the more mature, experienced ox would be the lead ox. He would take the lead and he would bear the heavy burden of the pole and of the dragon, of the uh, of the plow, where the other one would just kind of support him and keep pace and just kind of follow along with the lead ox. And so Jesus is, is using this analogy for us. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In other words, you need to go my way. You can't go your own way. If you go your own way, you're going to struggle. You're going to suffer. You're going to hurt. You're going to regret it. Go my way. Walk with me. Let me lead you. And you simply follow me. And as you follow Jesus, guys, and you know this, you're Christians. You're here in the middle of a pandemic at church. So, you know, you know that this is true. When you try and do it your own way, all it does is bring pain and suffering and regret and sorrow into your life. But when you align yourself with God and you let Jesus take the lead and you follow him and you say, Lord, wherever you lead me, I will follow. I will trust in you. That's where the burden is lifted. That's how you cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls as you do this. That old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Very simple, but very deeply profound and very true. We must trust Him, even when it's hard, even when there's a lot of insecurity, uncertainty, fear, anxiety, storm clouds are brewing, the lightning striking, the waves are beating against the boat. We must trust in the Lord at that time especially. And we must continue to follow Him, trust and obey. And as we obey Him, He takes care of all of the other needs In John chapter 16, Pastor Bob referred to this scripture on Sunday. Wonderful message on Sunday. Encouraging message on Sunday. Encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here. John 16, 33. Jesus says this. Toward the end of the upper room discourse, he says this. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the world, you'll have tribulation. This is not heaven yet, guys. This world is fallen. It's cursed. It's plagued by sin and disease and sickness and pestilence and coronavirus and death. But this is not the end. In this world, you'll have tribulation But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So even if we face death, whatever we face, Jesus has conquered sin, he's conquered death, he's conquered Satan, he's conquered hell. And in Jesus, we have conquered also. Because he conquered and we're in him. We're his bride and we're his body. So we too have overcome the world. But we have to remain in him. We have to trust in him. I like that he says, in me, you may have peace. You're not going to have peace in your circumstances. You're not going to have peace in your finances. You're not going to have peace in your health. You're not going to have peace in this world. But in me, 
you'll have peace, Jesus said. This is the peace that passes understanding. This is the peace which we are commanded to allow that we uh, allow God's peace to rule in our hearts, to be the umpire of our hearts. His peace, which surpasses all understanding, he'll keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. The scriptures declare. So we're not going to have peace in this world. This world is lost. It's dying. It's falling apart. But we have peace in Jesus. We have peace in his word. We are called to stand upon his word. We are called to appropriate his promises in our lives. Uh, we, we are those who are to, uh, to take his word, take his promises and stand upon them, appropriate them to ourselves. Say, Lord, this verse is for me. This sermon is for me. This message is for me. This passage is for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna own this. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna let your word speak life into my life. I'm going to let your word uh, speak creation, creating new life in me. Even as God spoke and he created all life, so too God speaks his word and he creates his life in each one of us as his children. There is tremendous anxiety and confusion right now in the world for good reason. The markets are crashing. People are losing their jobs. You know, it's a time really... You know, if you don't have God, you're in trouble right now, quite honestly, because we don't know how this thing's going to end. We all hope it's going to end well. We all think it's going to end. But, but if you think about it, could it be that this is a judgment of God upon our world for rejecting him and replacing him with the God of mammon and the God of money and the God of pleasure and the God of recreation and, you know, hedonism, basically do what thou wilt. Everybody's just trying to satisfy themselves, please themselves fill themselves to overflowing with everything they want all the time? Maybe. I'm not going to say that it is a judgment of God, but could it be a judgment of God upon our world? It certainly could be. It certainly could be. Could it be God's way of trying to get our eyes back on himself and off of the things of this world that we've put our eyes on for so long? I believe that's true, especially for America. But it is interesting that Jesus told his disciples, uh, this is what's going to happen in the last days. There's going to be diseases that are going to come upon you. And he, he even said men's hearts will fail them out of fear because of that which comes upon them on the earth in the last days. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this concerning the days right before he returns for his church. Matthew 24, verse three, the Olivet Discourse His disciples came to him and said, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. You know, when Jesus said this, by the way, there wasn't one person uh, who was recorded in history, either in the Jewish historians or the Roman historians. Uh, or the Greek historians before that, who came claiming to be Christ, saying, I am Christ, I am the Messiah. Uh, really, you didn't hear this uh, for 15, 16, 1700 years. Then all of a sudden you hit the 1700s, the 1800s, and now you've got all these cults, all these false Christs, false messiahs, who do claim that they're Jesus Christ. And they do claim that, you know, they are the Son of God, and they're the ones uh, who you should follow. 
Uh, and Jesus said that's going to be a sign of the times. There's going to be many who are going to be coming to you saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Do we see many false Christs today in our world? We certainly do. He says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse six, see to it that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Boy, have we heard a lot about wars and rumors of wars in our lifetime and really in the last hundred years in this in the, in the world's history. World War One and World War Two alone were unprecedented in their scope of death and destruction. Uh, you, you could take just the deaths attributed to the wars in the 20th century from 1901 to the year 2000, uh, the, the, the 20th century. And there were more people killed and, and there was more destruction in that 100 year period, that one century, than all the wars of all of history combined up to that point. So are we seeing an increase in wars and rumors of wars in our lifetime? We certainly are. Jesus said that's going to be the case in the last days. He says in verse seven, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Do we have nations rising up against nations all over the world today? We certainly do. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Absolutely. He says there will be famines. Do you know right now in uh, Eastern Africa, they have the worst plague of locusts in recorded history, at least in recorded modern history. They're saying that these locusts are like the biblical plague of Moses in Egypt in the book of Exodus. They're eating everything. These locusts are in the billions. I mean, they're innumerable. They come like storm clouds and they are decimating everything that grows in East Africa. I mean, numerous nations Ethiopia, Kenya, Sudan, Rwanda, Uganda. They're being plagued by these locusts right now as we sit here tonight. It is one of the worst plagues. It is the worst plague of locusts in, in, in modern history, certainly. One of the worst plagues recorded of locusts ever in this area of the world. That is going to cause tremendous famine as a result. Do we see famines taking place in our day? Indeed, we do. Pestilences. We have all of these crazy viruses, not just these crazy viruses, but the the, the threat of bioterrorism, where there could be biological warfare, where these viruses are being created in labs and, and, and unleashed in order to upset the world's systems and the world's economies and the world's governments and so forth. Uh, never in history has there been a situation like this. This is the first time in history where you've had the whole world all worried about one disease all at the same time. The bubonic plague only affected the people in that part of Europe. You know, the Spanish flu of 1918 affected certain parts of the world, not all at the same time. Different as people traveled and so forth after World War One, the Spanish plague uh, or the, uh, the, the, the Spanish uh, flu killed somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 million people in 1918, right after World War I ended. Uh, but nothing like this has ever happened, where you've had the entire world's economies collapse and, and the, the whole world overwhelmed all at once by a disease or by a virus or by a flu. We've never seen this before. But Jesus warned us, expect that if you're living in the last days, you see. He also said there's going to be earthquakes. 
You know, there was a 5.7 earthquake today in Utah. Salt Lake City, I think, was where the epicenter was. That's not on the ring of fire. They're not used to earthquakes over there. Uh, there are earthquakes happening and volcanoes erupting all over the world today, uh, like never before. And so all of these things, Jesus said, expect this stuff to happen if you're living in the last days. And so we would expect to see it happen if we're living in the last days. And guess what? That's what we see happening, because I do believe we're living in the last days. Jesus also told us that he was telling these things to us in advance. He says, I tell you these things in advance so that when they come to pass, you may believe in me. Not so that when they come to pass, you'll be terrified. So that when they come to pass, you'll be scared, you know, out of your socks. So when they come to pass, you'll think that God's angry at you. No, he says they're going to come to pass. I know the future. I'm telling you the future. It's going to happen because God's outside of space and time. He knows the end from the beginning. He already knows what's going to happen. So Jesus is just warning us. These things are going to happen. And I'm telling you these things in advance so that when they come to pass, you may trust in me. Are we going to trust in him now that we see these things happening? Amen. We're going to trust in him. Who else are we going to trust in? The government? The almighty dollar? Our 401k plans? Right? No, we're going to trust in the Lord. We're his people. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher or completer of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author. He starts it. He starts the work in us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's the author and he's the completer of the work that he began in us. He's going to see us through all the way to heaven, guys. Even death is not the end for the believer. This is why Jesus says, he who believes in me when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And he who lives and believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Death is not the end for the believer. There really is no death for the believer because death is separation and true death is separation from God. We'll never be consciously separated from God ever. If we are born again and we have his spirit, we just go from glory to glory. We go from this house to that house. Turn with me to Matthew chapter eight. In Matthew chapter eight, we see a storm that affected Jesus' followers, his disciples, his people. Matthew chapter 8, verse 24. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Storms come into our lives, guys. Sometimes it's through death of a loved one. Sometimes it's through disease. Other losses that we suffer, loss of a job, loss of a family, loss of a marriage, loss of a home. 
You may even lose in a war. Or your nation may lose a war against another nation. This happens throughout history. These are all storms that we experience as his people. And yet if Jesus is with us in the storm, we don't have to fear. Because Jesus, one word from God, one word from Jesus can still the waves, can calm the seas, can rebuke the storm, and the storm clouds will flee. As long as Jesus is in the boat with us, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. Our God is with us and he will take care of us. One word from God can turn everything around for us. In Matthew chapter 14, we have another storm on the sea that is recorded for us. Matthew 14:22 says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come out on the of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, the storm, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So the first time there was the storm and they were in the boat that's recorded, Jesus was sleeping. He was totally at peace. He wasn't worried at all. They woke him up. He spoke and the storm stopped. This is the next time that is recorded for us where there was an event similar out at sea. Uh, the, the waves were crashing, the winds were, uh, were, were boisterous, the New King James Version says. And, uh, and, and yet this time, Peter had the faith to get out of the boat. You know, people, uh, you know, put Peter down a lot and it's easy to pick on Peter. But Peter's a lot like us, you know, uh, puts his foot in his mouth, often says the wrong things, does the wrong things at the wrong time and so forth. We could relate to Peter, certainly. Uh, but Peter had more faith than the rest of the guys at this point. He got out of the boat. He said, Jesus, if you tell me, I know I could walk on the water, too. And he did. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water in the midst of the boisterous winds and waves and so forth until he took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on the storm and the waves. And so these are all lessons for us, guys. These are all true stories, but they also apply figuratively allegorically, spiritually, to believers. Storms come into our lives in different ways at different times. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will walk right over the waters of the storms. We'll defy the laws of nature and the laws of gravity, as it were. And people will look at us and say, how could you have so much peace in the midst of this storm? Because I trust Jesus. I know the Lord is in control. I believe in the promises of God. My God will never leave me nor forsake me even to the end of the age. 
Yes, he'll be with me always, even in the midst of the storms. But the problem is, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of the promises of God, and we begin to listen to the words of man that contradict the promises of God, it puts fear in our hearts. When we begin to look at the storm clouds and the raging seas and the boisterous winds, and we take our eyes off of God, off of Jesus, this is when we begin to sink into the storm and drown in the midst of the situation that we're facing. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, he will see us through the storms, whatever the storms are, whatever the storms are. In Matthew chapter six and verse twenty five. Jesus said this to his disciples. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, what good does worrying do you? It does you no good at all. It's the opposite of of doing you good, actually. He says in verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for after all these things, the Gentiles seek or the unbelievers, those who don't know God. That's what they that's what they seek after. All these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worrying about tomorrow does us no good at all. And if we trust God for today and he takes care of us today, which you can look back your whole life. You've you've all lived a lot of days in your lives. We've all lived a lot of life in this world. And yet God has seen us through every trial, every test, every sickness, every disease, every death in our families, every loss. And yet here we are. He's seen us through. God has a 100 percent track record of seeing us through in the past. So why would we fear tomorrow? Seek first his kingdom. That's the key. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the key. When the storms are raging and it may seem that Jesus is asleep, he's in complete control, even in the midst of the storms that come upon our lives individually and collectively. Keep your eyes on Jesus and seek him first. Follow him. Let him be your leader. Let him take the lead in your life and he will take care of you. One more scripture here, and then we're going to have a, a short time of, of corporate prayer. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Pastor Bob also read this to us on Sunday. Wonderful, wonderful promise in God's word. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. We know this. All things are working together for his even the coronavirus somehow is working together for his good. All things, even if even if our stock market never, you know, gets back to the levels where it were, the economy never gets back to where it was, even if we're no longer the world dominating economic power, military power and all the rest as a result of coronavirus, whatever the outcome is. We know that all things are working together for good for those who love God. So the question, no matter what you face, guys, the question is not, is this going to work together for good? Well, if you're a child of God, you have his promise. He says it's going to work together for good, even if you don't see how or I don't understand why or how it's going to work together for good. We have his promise. It's all going to work together for good. If what? If we love God. So the question isn't, is this going to work out for good? It is only for those who love God. So the real question that you have to ask yourself is, do I love God? And if I love God, what does that look like? Well, it means that you're going to seek to please him. You're going to seek to love him first. You're going to seek to love your neighbors. You love yourself. You're going to seek to put him first in your life. Let him be the preeminent voice that you listen to. Drowning out all the other voices. And if you love God, then you don't have anything to fear or worry about. He's going to work all things together for good. And he will get all the glory through the trials that we face. As we keep our faith, our faith will grow stronger and stronger and stronger. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.